You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before we jump into things, don't forget... Subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out online at libertyballers.com. Big week for the Sixers coming back from the All-Star break. Joining me to break it all down from the Bucks County Courier Times, longtime Sixers beat reporter, now columnist, Mr. Tom Moore. Tom, how have things been for you since all the craziness of the of the trade deadline? Yeah, it was a little hectic there for the first five days, but with it being the all-star break this week and so on, it has has been a little less hectic. Still plenty to write about, but not things to go to, if you will. So it's cut down on, you know, travel and that that kind of thing. But yeah, it's uh, certainly a very interesting time. Well, it's going to be a big one for Philly. Taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves on Friday. It's a road game. As you mentioned before, we went on air. No confirmation yet that James Harden will play, although looking like it, it's trending that way. When you're looking at this in, in Philly, Lauren, you've been covering this team for more than 30 years now. When you look at this, how much excitement is there for Harden's debut compared to years past? And have you seen another time where the city and the organization has been this excited for a player's upcoming debut? Yeah, well... I mean, 2005, they acquired Chris Weber at the trade deadline. And, you know, Allen Iverson said, you know, I've been waiting nine years for this. Um, but they never they didn't even win a, a playoff series in his, you know, two years here. And they ended up having to buy out the final year and two thirds of his contract. Matumbo came in 2001. They were 41 and 14. Ratliff had an injury, um, kind of held the fort and then they made the finals. Um but yeah, it's uh, probably the most, uh, you know, they're early and fans are encouraged by Maxi and so on. But I think most were realistic that this is probably not, it was not a championship team. And I think this, this is Daryl Morey saying, you know, we're throwing our chips in and we're going to try to win now, you know, and beat will be 28 in March. Um, big guys, there's no guarantees how long they play, how effectively they play. So you know, you want to uh, maximize, you know, he's having another MVP caliber season, probably even better than last year. So, yeah, I think the fan base is very excited. I mean, Sixers haven't won a title. Not only haven't won a title since 83, you know, I looked it up. I've been covering teams since 88, 89. They've gotten past the, the second round once in that whole time. That was 2001. They've had three division champions. They've had a couple teams that won the conference in the regular season, but have not been able to get past there. So I think there's, and, and the East seems to be wide open. And I think the combination of all that um, and, you know, looking to Harden and Harden with Embiid, I think is a very interesting combo in terms of, you know, pick and roll, two man games, clear outs with Harden, 
Um, you know, who do you start? Who's the fifth starter with those guys? You know, Thibel obviously is the, is the much better defender. I think that's the, that's the way you go because you need somebody to be able to defend the other team's best guard or wing. Danny Green's a better shooter, would be better on offense, but at 34, can't defend the way he used to. There's just so many decisions, rotations. Doc Rivers has a lot of choices to make here. Um, and there's only 24 games left. I mean, it's it's not there's not a lot of time. The playoffs start um, in like seven weeks. So, you know, we're getting we're getting down to crunch time. Well, that, that's what I was going to ask you, Tom. Looking at that, as you mentioned, you know, the Sixers right now in a pretty good spot, 35 and 23, sitting in third in the Eastern Conference only two and a half back of Miami and Chicago. But as you mentioned, not a ton of time now until the playoffs. And so when you're looking at this, and it's not easy, I'm sure, for the team and the coaching staff looking at Harden's style, right? Like he, he's he's a ball-dominant guy, needs, needs the rock in his hands in order to create. Also very good, obviously, at penetration at the top, gets to the free throw line a ton. But you got a guy in Joel Embiid who, let's be honest, if he wasn't on the Sixers, maybe the Sixers are our lottery team at this point, looking at how much he's been used. When you look at this, what do you think some of the difficulties a team is going to have, and Doc Rivers specifically, trying to get everybody on the same page? And, and how long do you think it'll take before we start to see the Sixers kind of operating at their best with Harden in the lineup? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, it, they have to hope it'll be by, you know, April 20th or whenever the playoffs start there, because... You know, they've been running the offense, even though Maxie's been the point guard, they've really been running the offense a lot through Embiid. And with Harden, that's not going to happen as much. So they're going to have to figure out, you know, how to help each other, um, how to maximize. And then, you know, um, Harden is more of a clear out isolation guy. Um, you know, he should help. Um, he should help uh, Embiid see fewer double teams, you would think. Uh, you can't double team both those guys because then if you do, you have basically three, one defender on on the other three Sixers. You know how does how does Tobias Harris stay involved? How do they keep him, you know, involved? What's Maxi's role? He's going to be off the ball more. He's shot, you know, shooting threes about forty percent, which is a considerable, almost a ten percent increase from last season. Uh, but his role is going to change. Uh, the rotations. I would think you have either Harden or uh, Maxi on the court at all times. Yeah, I don't see why not. There's no reason that Shake Milton should have to run your second unit or whatever. You should be able to stagger that. Do you want Harden or Embiid on the court at all times to have a dominant score? Like, and these are things, you know, Embiid's been playing 33, 34 minutes and, and has been playing really, really well. Playoff time, I think you'd probably like him playing a little more if you can. Um, but how does that work? How do you stagger who comes out first? Um, you know, how does it affect the bench? Who does Harden work really well with? Like I said, a guy like Danny Green, who's a spot up shooter, you would think would work well. Harden also likes to throw a lot of lobs, which is where, you know, Cauley Stein could come in because the Sixers don't really have Thibault's a bit of a lob guy, but you know, they don't have a lot of lob guys like that. So, you know, he's on a, he'll be on a 10 day contract, um, you know, starting Friday. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things to figure out, you know, in a short period of time. And there there's a logjam of the top six teams in the East. So you want to figure it out, learn and win at the same time. And, you know, that can be difficult. And, you know, what kind of shit Harden hasn't played since February 2nd? You know, maybe he'll be limited in terms of how much he can play or how, you know, how quickly he gets tired or whatever. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on and there's a lot for. Um, 
you know, rivers to figure out and for the players kind of, you know, in practice and more, more likely in games, you know, to determine what works best and to ride that as much as possible. When you look at Doc Rivers and he's faced his share of criticism, you know, yeah, he won a title back in 2008 with the Celtics, those Lob City teams, as we remember with Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, you know, prime DeAndre Jordan, they, they were stacked and he couldn't get that team into the finals. And then that choke that they had against the Rockets up to three to one. When you look at Doc Rivers, how much pressure do you think is on him to make sure that, as you mentioned, the Sixers at least get into a conference finals? Because at this point, Daryl Morey and, and the organization have pushed their chips into the middle of the table. So when you're looking at it from that perspective, how much pressure is there on Doc to get things right? And do you have confidence that he'll be able to get his rotation set properly? Because I know a lot of people, myself included, are sick and tired of seeing the all bench lineups get killed on the court until Embiid gets back on. So when you're looking at that from the coaching perspective, how much pressure is there on Doc? And how much confidence that you have that he'll be able to get things right here over the past over the last 24 games getting into the playoffs? Yeah, I think, the you know, by making this move, you know, the pressure's kind of off Daryl Morey to some degree, although they could use another wing, whether they could they don't really have a roster spot. Um, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is you a guy doesn't have to be on your roster March 1st to play in the playoffs. He just has to be bought out by March 1st. So they theoretically could, you know, Cully Stein signs, plays, and they could theoretically waive him if they think that if they're ha- if they think that um, Millsap and Bassey and uh, Paul Reed can kind of handle the minutes there, they could theoretically not resign him and sign somebody like Gary Harris or a wing who could have an impact. Theoretically, I don't know the odds of that happening, but they could, you know, conceivably do it. But yeah, the, to me, the pressure has shift, you know, shifted from Maury, you know, with getting that second star that the Sixers needed, um, second all-star, former MVP, um, three-time scoring champion in Harden, to Rivers. Now, I mean, you think back with, with Brett Brown, the year that, that they lost to uh, Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors in game seven on that quadruple bouncer, and people thought they had to get to the conference finals. Well, they didn't, but you know, they were, they were a bounce away from going to overtime with a chance to win game seven. So, I mean, I, you know, obviously, you know, they, they're trying to position themselves to at least get the cut to the conference finals. You know, if not the NBA finals, the East is not as deep as the West. Um, I still think the Bucks are the team to beat, but um, you know, I think the Sixers, if all goes well, could certainly be right in the mix there. But there is kind of a built-in excuse in that there isn't a whole lot of time, you know, that it, this year in terms of if it doesn't jive, if it doesn't, if Embiid and Harden don't kind of get on the same page as quickly as possible, and you know, you need to tweak some things, or or he's experimenting with starting lineups and rotations and things like that. Um, you know, he has a little bit of a built-in excuse because it's happening so late with only. Um, you know, whatever it is, six, six plus weeks left in the regular season. Um, there's in 24 games, there's not a whole lot of time. Um, but I'm really curious to see, you know, how, how that goes, um, what he, what he does and, you know, how the players respond because their roles are going to be different. They're going to have to, they're going to have to adjust and adapt for this to be successful. And somebody is, is not going to get the touches more, more than somebody, most people aren't going to get the touches they did before. 
So how will they be, you know, willing if Embiid wants the ball at the end of the game and Harden takes a shot, you know, like those are things that those are things that all will kind of have to find out, you know, Harden has a reputation of being selfish, but he's averaging 10.2 assists. So he is willing to, to pass the ball, you know, share the ball. He's not having a great year in terms of three point shooting and his uh, scoring uh, is I think the lowest since he came to Houston in 2012 when Daryl Morey traded for him. Uh, but he still has very good numbers and certainly is an upgrade from what they were getting, um, which was nothing, you know, from, from that spot, if you will. So um, with Ben Simmons, not playing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see, you know, how it goes and where they end up, you know, last year they, they won the conference in the regular season. They had home court advantage they had the best home court record in the East. And then they lose three out of four at home to the less experienced Hawks. So sometimes it, and now they're, they're not winning at home, but they're doing really well on the road. Um, that does not make sense. Um, uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot on the line. I don't think if you're saying that they have to make the conference finals for Doc Rivers to keep his job, I would say, obviously that's their goal, but I don't know that if they play well and they, you know, they lose in seven games to the bucks in the second round or something, depending on the matchup or the heat or something like that. I'm not sure that that's the, that's the end end. Cause then, then you have the whole, you know, training camp and a whole year next year, you know, to figure it out. Tom, I want to jump into a couple more things, including where you think the, the Sixers will finish in the standings. We'll do that after a short break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we're back. Uh, Tom, we were discussing where the Sixers fit in, and, and and you mentioned, you know, there is some pressure on the team to at least make a deep play run, playoff run. We'll see what happens there. But you're looking at, at the conference standings. As I mentioned, the Sixers tied for third with Cleveland, Milwaukee. It's a big log jam there. Boston only a couple of games back, and I'm sure once Brooklyn gets Kevin Durant back, Ben Simmons integrated into the lineup, the Nets will start to make a charge up the standings as well over, over the last year, five or six weeks. But when you're looking at it, how imperative do you think it is for the Sixers to try and get into the top spot or maybe the top two so you can avoid one of those matchups where you maybe you're, you're taking on a Milwaukee or a Boston or a Brooklyn in round one as a 3-6 matchup? Like, Do you think the Sixers are focused on let's try and get home court advantage? As you mentioned, didn't make a difference last year, but do you think they're more focused on that or is it let's just get everybody integrated, get hardened? you know, the, the new system implemented, whatever doc decides to run, is that kind of taking precedence over where the team finishes in the standings? Yeah, I think, I think jazz, they want to win and they want to, you know, figure it out. Um, and I'm not sure what's more important, uh, probably figuring it out is a little more important, but you're right. If, if the nets are playing really well um, and the 
and the Bucks and the Heat seem formidable. And the Celtics going into the break were the hottest team in the NBA or one of the hottest teams in the NBA. You may be able to avoid all those teams in the first round, but in the second round, you're almost surely going to have to play one of them. So to make the conference finals, you're going to have to beat a good team, whether you're a second seed, a third seed, a fourth seed, whatever it is. Um, uh, and matchups, you know, matchups are funny sometimes. You know, teams will go, lose all four games in the regular season and then win a best of seven series. I mean, regular season can be somewhat misleading in that, you know, you, you, you play a team where they're on the second night of a back to back and you've been off for a couple of days and you beat them. That's really not necessarily maybe representative of what's going to happen when everybody has at least one day off before the games and everybody knows the plays and the sets. And it's just more about executing and, and you know, figuring things out. So I think, you know, you, Doc Rivers has been around enough to know, you, you, you know, you don't try to avoid a team per se. You, you, you just do as well as you possibly can get as high in the standings to theoretically get home court advantage as long as possible. And then you go from there. And because it's interesting, a lot of the other sports, the NFL um, and so on, they recede. The NBA, they don't. If you're the eighth, you know, if you're the if you're the fourth seed, you could theoretically end up playing every every series at home. If the if the lower seeds win, win the game, you know, win, the, win the series. So it's very unique. And I kind of like it like that. I kind of like the way it's set up that way. So, you know, all right, the Sixers are getting the winner of the Bucks and the Celtics or whoever it is in the second round. And I, I, I kind of like I kind of like that. But, yeah, you don't want to try to avoid or say, all right, we, we don't want to play th this team, so we need to lose this game or win this game. That That's kind of a dangerous game you know, you, to, to do that because you just never know how it's going to go. Another team gets a key injury. You'd be much better playing that team. You, you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, there's so many things to, to sort of. And as you mentioned, the Eastern Conference, I, I think looking at the top half of it, like I don't remember the last time that I've been a Hoops fan since the 90s. I don't remember the last time you know, other than maybe the Jordan days where you had at least five teams where you're like, ah, one of these teams could get in. You know what I mean? As you mentioned, I still have Milwaukee, a fully healthy buck squad at the top. I'd have Philly right there, but then you got Brooklyn, Miami, and we'll see what happens. You know, Boston's a good team, but Chicago, Cleveland, two surprise squads. We'll see how things go for them in the playoffs too. Looking back at the actual trade, there was so much pressure on Daryl Morey, you know, since really June of, of, of last year, once, you know, the Ben Simmons meltdown happened against the Hawks and, the rumbling started coming out. He's not going to report, and the Sixers got to look to move him. And we had heard Damian Lillard was a target. We heard Bradley Beal was a target. We heard maybe the Sixers will wait out, wait this out until the offseason. But Maury stuck to his guns, got the guy he really wanted, and he obviously has that connection to Harden, as you mentioned, since he acquired him in, in Houston. When you when you look at how Maury played this whole thing, do you think he had any inclination that this might happen, that Harden might want out of Brooklyn? Or do you think he just played the long game and, and was able to, to land a superstar, which was ultimately the goal once we knew that Simmons wasn't going to come back to Philly? Yeah, I think he was hopeful, you know, that Harden would want to leave. But I think he was willing, you know, if he if if he had to include, let's say, Tyrese Maxey or even Thibault, I think he was willing to wait. The summer would have been very interesting because you could still sign, you could still trade for him, but it's a sign and trade, um, which would mean Harden take would have to take less money. He could theoretically end up with seventy million dollars less, you know, and one season less. Or the more complicated move would have been to trade Simmons for draft picks, 
and to either to waive and then use the stretch provision on Harris or to trade Har- try to trade Harris for draft picks and get far enough under that you could sign him outright. Um, so this was a better option in that they they have his bird rights. They can re-sign him. Um, he says he's going to pick up his $47 million option for next season. They can extend him beyond that um, um, to keep him here for uh, up to four years and $223 million would be the max there. Um, would mean he's making $60 million at 37 years old, which is not the best value. But when you make a trade like this, you, you don't do this for a, a rental or even for a year and a half. You, you need to take your shot for the next, uh, let's say, at least three playoffs where, where you, you, you should have Embiid at his peak and Harden still enough of a factor, you know, still a, an all-star type player where you, you, know, you have a chance you know, to advance, but, you know, he was getting criticism and, you know, why didn't you take the, you know, the Atlanta deal where he could have got uh, John Collins reddish and a first round pick, uh, you know, but he, he said all along, he wanted a difference maker. He wanted someone to move the needle and increase the chances of winning a title. And I like John Collins. He's a really, very good player, but I don't think he's probably not going to have the impact that Harden will plus he plays the same position as Tobias Harris. So now what are you going to do with Tobias Harris? So I think it worked out really well for him. I mean, it would it be nice to still have Curry, although he probably couldn't start with Maxi. He'd probably have to come off the bench here, but he'd give you shooting off the bench in late game situations. Um, and the same as, you know, Drummond's certainly a better backup center than anybody they have, especially at the rebounding in the rebounding aspect. But to get somebody like Harden, you know, and the, the the draft pick, you know, should probably be in the 20s this year and in 2027, who knows? Um, so, you know, I think he made the deal was as reasonable as possible. He called the Nets bluff and supposedly, you know, Bobby Marks wanted, you know, Thibel or Maxi, And he said, no way. And he waited and they were able to work it out, you know, two hours before the deadline. So um, I think he did the right thing. I, I think. Even fans who were unhappy and say you're wasting, you know, Embiid, they're still 12 games over 500 and it's jumbled enough that, you know, if they they go, uh, you know, 18 and six over the last uh, six weeks of the season, you know, they could be a top two or three seed and, you know, have home court for at least one, if not two, you know, series. So I think it worked out and I think Maury did the right thing now. I wasn't sure there for a while. I was afraid. They weren't going to get anything done. And, that, you know, now, you know, they're not a, a championship team. And now you got to work it out. You know, you got other factors in terms of acquiring Harden. I don't think Beal's going to, Beal's probably as realistic. And I don't, who knows about Lillard, you know, these days. So, uh, you know, with Portland's situation. So I think it worked out for Maury about as well as, you know, he realistically could have hoped. When you look at that deal, and I don't think anybody would argue this, James Harden, a clear upgrade on over Seth Curry, but who still is a very, very nice piece and, and was having a good season for the Sixers. Uh, do you think they'll miss having him at all, just considering how good of a shooter he is, 40-plus uh, percent from, from the outside, and had some good chemistry with Joel as well on those DHOs, and, and they kind of, when things got a little choppy on the offensive end, that was kind of the the set that they would go to. So do you think that they'll they'll miss Seth Curry at all, or or do you think that, hey, we got Harden now, we're just focusing on, on having that and, and having him really as our best uh, perimeter shooter or one of the best perimeter shooters on the roster. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. I think Harden shooting 33 from three this year and, and Curry shooting 40. Um, and that's down a little bit from his normal number. 
Um, I mean, you think of the playoff series against the Hawks, he was probably the second best sixer. I mean, especially in, in fourth quarters of games because Collins did a really good job on Tobias Harris, who struggled. Simmons didn't take a shot in the last four fourth quarters, games four through seven. So somebody had to score, and it was Embiid and Curry were the main guys. Um, now, the other side of the coin is he's 6'1". He's not a great defender, and with him at 6, Maxie at 6'2", and Curry at 6'1", you were very small. Harden's 6'5". He's certainly not a physical defensive presence, but he has a little bit more size. Um you know, uh, yeah, I mean, and, you know, and Curry's married to Doc Rivers' daughter. So uh, he used to jokingly call him son-in-law. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, but, you know, it was sort of a foregone conclusion that he would have to be included. And, you know, Brooklyn, he's a nice compliment for the for the Nets with, you know, Durant and Simmons specifically, because you, you need shooting with Simmons out there and Durant you know, it benefits him to have other guy, like you said, they can run the dribble handoffs or, you know, hit the, the threes from the elbow extended and so on. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that was just basically the cost of doing business. But, yeah, I, I think they like it. The one interesting thing, Jazz, is they went last year, they were ninth in the league in rebounding. This year, they're last. And the only difference is. Per 36 minutes, the drop off from a 6'10 Simmons to a 6'2 Maxi. It's not a it's not a knock on Maxi. Everybody else is pretty much rebounding the same. But that's the reason they're 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 five averaging five rebounds less a game. Harden is a good rebounder. He's averaging eight rebounds a game this year as a guard. They need all their guys need to hit the boards, and they have some guys that are not rebounding, especially the guards. Curry's not a very good rebounder. Maxi needs to do a little bit more in that respect. He's gotten, you know, he, he's been a revelation. He's been fantastic, but that's really a group thing. And it's kind of amazing when you think Drummond's one of the best rebounders for 36 minutes in the NBA and Embiid's a very good rebounder. So they had two high level rebounders, but nobody else was, nobody was picking up the slack for Simmons. So Harden should help in that respect too. Um, uh, specifically at the defensive, getting the defensive rebound. So the other team doesn't get multiple attempts, you know, per possession. Yeah, we've seen that be a big issue for the Sixers throughout the season. And as you mentioned, Harden averaging just a little over eight rebounds a game should be able to help bump up those numbers. Uh, Shifting focus a bit to Ben Simmons. We heard him finally talk to the media a couple of days after the trade. He said there were a ton of things that built up. He said he has no ill will towards his teammates, although didn't really get a chance to, to speak to Embiid. And we obviously the comments after the game seven loss last year may have played a role in him wanting to leave. But when you, when you look at this from Simmons perspective, was the playoff loss and the reaction and the comments we heard from doc or the comments we heard from Joe, were those, do you think the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for, for Simmons personally, like what else do you think led up, to him wanting to leave Philly and just like never even come back. And then like, he was just done. And so where do you think he got there from? Uh, was there a lot of other things that might've built up over the years or, or, or was that, or the, what happened last year in that game seven loss kind of the, just the tip of the iceberg? Well, I think, I think that was the, like the final straw, I would probably say. I mean, there was some question within the organization years earlier, if they should build around, you know, Simmons or Embiid. And some people thought Simmons and some people thought Embiid. Um, And clearly they chose Embiid and it was the right decision, certainly offensively. Uh, You can't argue with that with, you know, he's a Kim Elijah one, but with a fadeaway jumper and, you know, some other, you know, 
some other, you can see the Michael Jordan and the Kobe Bryant and some of those moves that you can see he's studied and watched tape hundreds of times because he does it, you know, note for note, if you will. Um, but yeah, I think Simmons, you know, I think he's, you know, he, when Brett Brown was here, he was not criticized. And I think around, around him, you know, people who are always on your side aren't necessarily looking out for your best interests. And I thought Doc Rivers would come in and be critical. And he really wasn't at all. He was as, as defensive about Simmons, at least as much as um, Brett Brown was until the end of the series. When David Murphy from the Inquiry asked, you know, can you be a championship team going forward with Ben Simmons as your point guard? And he said, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to that question, which was an honest question answer after a game seven where, you know, you, you blew a 25 point lead in game five. I mean, the Sixers should have won at least five games in that series, you know, and I, I think it, you know, it, it, he sort of couldn't, you know, hocus pocus, hide his face and just throw out, you know, his standard response there. And the same as Embiid, he was said, what was the turning point? And he said it was that, you know, the play, the, the dunk where he didn't take the dunk where, he, you know, he had a six, one guy kind of take a step toward him um, uh, in Trey. Uh, young and he passed it out to Thibel who was double teamed and fouled and made one of two free throws um, which was again an honest answer but I, I think you know I think he thought everybody was blaming him he always was talked about what did I do on defense look at my assists look at my rebounds and that those are all true but to be a great player I mean you look at Michael Jordan Magic Johnson these other guys when they came in the league they were not great shooters they became great shooters just by working at it and with Simmons, you, you did not see a progression. Matter of fact, you know, in the series with Atlanta, hitting 33% of his free throws, there was regression. Um, so, you know, I, I think it was best for everybody. I, I, you know, he was always, a, and the Sixers, the idea of them wanting him to play in the regular season, he was always a very good regular season player. It's the playoffs when everything gets ratcheted up, they put a big guy on him, they move him back in the paint and just sort of say, go do what you're going to do. And he goes to the dunker spot or the corner and you're basically playing four and five in the half court offense. So, you know, I mean, I, th I think he's a, a wonderfully skilled player, but I, I think he thinks, you know, he would, he would, he would be asked about things and he would say, I'm an all-star and that's true, but you certainly, you know, it, it and I, I, I didn't care about not shooting threes, but to me, when you have an open eight footer or 10 footer, that should be a high percent shot. And he wouldn't take them. He would have to go all the way to the rim. And that makes it very difficult for spacing. What do you do with them? You know, you, you have a hard time keeping them on the court. Um, if he doesn't have the ball in his hand and he got in the fourth quarter, when he had the ball in his hands against the Hawks, he gave it up as quick as he could and ran off to the side. So it, it, defensively, certainly you need him because he's, he can guard one through four, maybe even five, but offensively, you know, in late game playoff situations, you're, you're afraid he's going to get fouled and he doesn't, he didn't want the ball at least against the Hawks. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and, and and you know we we saw that from Simmons because looking back at him, if he would have played in the '90s, you could have put him on the block and said go to work there and get him the ball, get the ball in his hands with his back to the basket. Obviously, not an option with the way today's game is played, where spacing is at a premium, and you have a, a quote unquote point guard who's not comfortable on the perimeter, even taking an open shot. You know, if his life depends on it, really tough to integrate him into an offense when your last two three minutes of a close playoff game. How do you think he does in in Brooklyn, Tom? How do you think he's going to fit with that squad? And, and I mean do you think? like that they're still a championship level team with him. I mean, I think they could be if, if 
they're talking about the, you know, the, they're talking about lifting the uh, mandate, you know, for the vaccine. So if Kyrie Irving can play in all games and you have, you know, Kyrie on the court and Simmons and Kyrie on the court and Durant, you can afford to have a guy like Simmons who doesn't really need to score, who can, who can do the things he does well, which is, you know, initiate the offense, find open teammates, rebound and defend. The defense is a weakness of that team. Um, so I think it's kind of an I kind of like when Andre Godala went to the Warriors, the same kind of thing. Whereas when he was in Philly, he tried to be a 20 point scorer and that really wasn't him. But the team was not that good and he needed to score more. But when he went there, you know, with Durant and Curry and Thompson, um, he could run the break and do the things he does well and ended up being the MVP of the finals, um, you know, when he just played out of his mind. Um, no, I, th I think it's as, as an as ideal of a situation for Simmons as can go. And then you have Goran Dragic, who, you know, who could and Curry has been starting. If he keeps starting, you know, you'll be small with Kyrie and, and, and Curry. But in terms of um, perimeter shooting, that that's the that's what you need around Simmons. And then Drummond's been starting too, you know, to rebound and provide a little interior defense. So I think that's if you look around the league, there aren't many better places for him to be given his skill set and given what they have, um, you know, that that could be a very, you know, could be a dangerous playoff team, you know, given what they have. If Steve Nash, you know, kind of like uh, Doc Rivers can figure out how to incorporate, you know, Simmons, just as Rivers can figure out how to incorporate Harden, you know, effectively, that could be a team that, you know, is is very dangerous in the postseason. I think that was that was one of the one of the things that Harden's gripes with with Steve Nash was the rotation. So it was interesting to see if he is able to figure that out once they get Simmons and, and KD back from injury. Do you think he ends up playing on March the 10th at Wells Fargo or do you think there's no chance that he's going to want to suit up for that one? Because I'm of the belief play, get it done and over with. You're going to get a ton of heat, a, a ton of the I mean, we know what Sixers fans can be like. They're going to be on him like crazy, but at least you're not really setting up that return matchup for the playoffs if the two teams meet then. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, they're, they're saying that Durant's closer to coming back than Simmons. They showed the video yesterday, if you saw, with him, oh, with uh, uh, player personnel guy Kyle Korver, former Sixer, just shoot, flicking the ball left-handed, you know, up to himself to work on backspin, you know. Um, so I don't know. I mean – the easy way to avoid it is not come back until after March 10th. If he comes back beforehand and then misses that game for a particular reason, you know, that would be curious. I, I think you're right. That's the best way to get it over with, but I don't know if he wants to deal with it, you know, at this point. And maybe if you put it off, it won't be as bad. Although no one Philadelphia fans, it probably doesn't make a difference when it's going to happen. It's going to be the same way, whether it's in the playoffs in May or next, next year, you know, during next season, one of the two regular season games when they play here, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a zoo. It, it could happen in 2026, Tom, and, and the Philly fans still won't forget. So I'm sure you're still here. That's probably from. true. Yeah, they don't <laughs> they don't forget much. That's for sure. <laughs> Last one for you, Tom. As you mentioned, you've been covering this team since 1988, uh, been around every single, you know, Sixers team from from the Barkley era to the Iverson era. Uh, now to, to the process years and now to Joel Embiid being an MVP candidate. When you look at this team, and I know we haven't seen them play, not going to hopefully see Harden's debut until Friday in Minnesota. When you just look at the talent of this squad, 
where do you put it amongst the best Philly teams you've covered since since you've since you've been kind of working as a, as a reporter and now as a columnist um, and covering the team for 30 plus years? Well, it I mean, it's the, it's the first time they've had what I would call like two legitimate offensive stars. I mean, they had uh, Mutombo joined in 2001 in the Ratliff Kukoc trade from Atlanta in February 2001. But he wasn't a you know, he was a 15 point a game guy. He was more, you know, rebounding and shot blocking. So and that team was so successful because you had the uh, Tyrone Hill and George Lynch, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow. You had all the kind of glue guys, the dirty work guys. And Iverson would take 30 shots or 28 shots a night. This is the first time they've really had two. I I think Percy Hawkins made one all star team with Barkley in like 91. But I mean, was not a a consistent all star performer. He was a very good player. He was a great shooter at Bradley. He was a really good player with the Sixers, but he was not didn't command the kind of attention that Harden does. So offensively, you know, this should be the best team in terms of two elite scorers that I've seen. To me, the question is more at the defensive end, which is why, again, I think Thibel's the guy to start just because you, you need, the other team's going to have a guard or a wing that, you know, every team has at least one scorer that you really need to, to worry about. And if it's going to be Danny Green or, or Maxi on those guys, uh, you know, that's just tough. And you look at the Nets when they're healthy, like let's say Thibel starts on uh, Durant or Thibel starts on on Kyrie, whatever it is. Now you got to match up with Durant, you know, Curry, um, you know, you, if you and if you don't start Thibel, then Green gets the best or Maxi get the best guard or wing guy on the other team. So, um yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's a, it's fascinating. And I'm sure Doc Rivers has spent a lot of time, you know, um, you know, thinking about it, but sometimes when you actually get down to doing it, you find out that, Hey, I thought this would work, but maybe this will work better. Or, you know, maybe it's uh, maybe we, you know, we, 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 at the six minute mark, we take Harden out and, you know, we bring, uh, uh, shake Milton in. And then at the three minute mark, he comes back and Maxi comes out and then we keep, you know, we, and Embiid comes out of the game and then we go to our backup center Millsap or whatever, then to start the second quarter Embiid, you know, you, you, you try to keep, you want to, you want to have some sort of consistency in that respect players like that, but you need to figure out who works best with, with who. And I think there's going to be a lot of that over the next couple of weeks for sure. If not the next month plus. Well, Tom, it's going to be exciting, I think, just not only for Philly basketball fans, but around the NBA. I think all eyes are going to be on the Sixers now and, and the Nets. You know, let's be honest that, that these are the teams that people are looking at to see how they figure things out. It's going to be exciting for us because we have a ton of things to cover, a ton of things to write about. Uh, Tom, I want to take thank you for taking the time out to, to join me as well. And we'd love to have you on again before we uh, get into the playoffs. Is, uh, you know, is, uh, again, what are we about six, seven weeks away? So love to have you on at some point before then as well. Sure, Jazz. Thanks for having me.